Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this moment that we have, God. I pray that we've come in here with different stuff, different lives, Lord, that there'd be something in this word today, something in this message, God, that it doesn't just interest us, God, but actually transforms our lives. Lord, that we would live differently after today, God, that you would inspire us, Lord, that you would remind us. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just come and in my words, Lord, in the words that are coming out of my mouth, God, Lord, that you would that you would use them and you unique ways in the hearts of each and every person here. In your great and awesome name. Amen. So, 1066, William the Conqueror lands, he wasn't called that at the time, but lands on the south coast of England. The Saxon king of England, Harold, is up in the north fighting this war against this big battle against the Vikings who'd come over and invaded up in the north. And he wins that battle and then gets news that the southern coast is being attacked, that William's taken this opportunity, man, to come and, come and attack. So he gets his army and they march south. They march and march and then they get to Hastings where they join battle and have this huge battle which ends up, Harold ends up, he, get, he gets a arrow in the eye, apparently. You see this in the, the Bear Tapestry. In that moment, in that battle, the Saxons lose under, under Harold. A Norman rule takes over Britain, takes over, the, takes over England. And um, this is this one event that even though it only lasts a day or so, has ramifications that even impact us today, that stretch out across the whole of the world today. So you see the Norman conquest of England, that battle that was decided there, it changed English language forever. It changed English customs forever. It changed words that we say today compared to what we would have said. It changed the culture completely. The architecture that we have in the UK is because of these guys, all those stone churches, they're Norman builds, that you wouldn't have seen it if there were no Normans there. And even right down to very personal things, like the names that a lot of you guys are called, like Andrew and James and Peter, we would not have been called those names. They had very different names. The Saxons had different names, like Ethelstan and Ethelfrick and stuff like that. So maybe, hi, I'm Pastor Ethelstan. Um, you know, so... It changed history forever. And there are moments, there are events in our lives that are so massive that they impact us to such a degree that we're never the same again. And sometimes that history is never the same again. And so today what we're going to be doing is looking at one of these events. We're in this series of acts, so we're going to leave British history alone for a while. We are in this series in acts of this one event that happens that we still feel feel the of through time today. And what we're going to be looking at today is the story of the Damascus Road, the story of Saul's conversion, where he becomes Paul. And we're going to be looking at this story of the Damascus Road, and we'll do an overview of it, look at what's kind of going on, but then also look at some three key things that we can learn from his experience and what he sees, what Saul sees that transforms his life and also the life of the world. 
to Acts 9, 131. If you've got your Bibles, follow with me. Hold on tight. It's a long story, but I think it's important to share this with you guys. Okay, so just imagine this isn't in the time of the sermon. Okay. So... It says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters, asked letters for him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately, immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews but they were attempting to put him to death but when the brethren learned of it they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus 
So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. So, long, long, long story, but it gives you a good picture of what's going on, right? Sometimes we have these stories and we kind of, yeah, saw Damascus Road, struck down, sight back, but maybe there's some details there, hearing it a second time, you guys picked up. So to start with, guys, I just want you to imagine what's going on here. Imagine this guy that Saul is so zealous to destroy the gospel, to destroy the followers of the way, that even those guys in charge aren't as kind of out there to get the gospel as he is. And he goes to them, he goes to the high priest, and says, hey, can you give me permission to go to this other city a long way away to go and try and find people who were, trying, who were spreading this and bring them bound back to Jerusalem? See, the gospel has begun to spread out from Jerusalem, like Jesus had said, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth. And Saul is trying vehemently to stop it. In some ways, I think he thinks he's like a hero of the faith, his faith, that he believes. He believes he's doing the right thing. He believes he's defending the true faith, what's going from, from heresy, of seeing men and women put to death and imprisoned because they're following this new way. And so, guys, I want you to understand that context of who this guy is, a bit kind of on edge, a bit nuts in a sense, of who Ananias God asked to go and speak to. That this guy who's been called or who's gone there for the specific purpose of arresting and imprisoning somebody just like Ananias. Think how freaked out Ananias must have been. He's heard stories of how he's been killing loads of people. And then God asked him to go and speak to this guy. So when, when we see Saul in that context of this kind of slightly religious, zealot, unhinged kind of bloke, Think how incredible it is that he has this experience with Jesus on the road. Just think about everything that goes on there. You know, imagine that experience that he has of Jesus. This guy so against the gospel. What happened to him that this nutter suddenly turned around and started pursuing God with so much passion and vehemence that to, to, to straight away, it says immediately he went out and was preaching the gospel, declaring that he is the son of God. That's a serious 180. It's not a, oh man, I've messed up. I need to go on a retreat and kind of sort myself out. It's like immediate. See, it's not religion. It isn't coming to church every week. It isn't learning and get building this huge like knowledge bank of biblical stuff that's going to transform your life and the lives of people around you, that's going to take you to a place where you just want to share Jesus and preach the gospel. It is coming face to face with the Son of God that will change your life. And I know so many of you guys here, you've had that experience of you know Jesus, you've met him in different times, you've, you have the Holy Spirit within you. That is something that will change your life forever. You know, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I haven't actually had an experience where I know God. I don't mean like you can't see and you've been knocked off a horse, you know, but that you've had an experience knowing him. Maybe today is your day. Saul himself 
immediately, right? He begins, he, it's kind of the shoes on the other foot. He immediately begins to experience being threatened because of the gospel. The Jews in Damascus are trying to kill him. They've got to lower him out. They kind of have to evacuate him in a basket out over the wall. So imagine that, that his life is suddenly threatened now, that he, he flees a city and in one stroke, everything is lost. And it's so easy in our reading just to go through this and forget about the stuff that's going on in the past, the stuff that's going on behind it, that Saul was somebody. You need to kind of understand this, guys, because it helps us. That See, how following Jesus is more worth than all the things that we hold dear in our lives. If you think about Saul, he would have been a guy who graduated from the top of his class. He stayed in that synagogue school. And then he ends up being under Gamaliel. It says, he says he's a disciple of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is kind of a world time famous rabbi. He's kind of like one of the, it's like a Yoda of rabbis that everyone loves Gamaliel. And he's just like a super wise guy that he's his disciple. It's, if that was your channel and the way that your passion to be in that, that, that kind of Judaism ministry, this would be kind of, you've reached the top. Being under this guy, that's incredible. He's set, Paul, Saul, is set in status. He's set financially. He's set with respect and with power. You know, Saul may well be one day the next Gamaliel. And so we don't often think what he's giving up. We don't often think about what he's letting go. But he goes in a moment from the Sanhedrin's golden boy to being persecuted and having his life threatened by the very people who respected him and coming to that city to give them orders and a paper and documents from the Sanhedrin himself. But see, what happened on the Damascus Road is significant. It's so significant. Maybe for some of you guys today about the things we're going to look at, it will be a slight Damascus Road experience for you. So eventually, Paul ends up in Jerusalem, and he ends up to see and speak to the apostles, and the disciples there, they're freaked out, okay? Who, you, who wouldn't be, right? He leaves as somebody going on a mission to capture people and bring them back and imprison them, and then he turns up... Just as a little aside, we see in Galatians, it says that he's gone for three years into Arabia. So it's very possible, it's very likely that after Damascus, he goes to Arabia for three years and then turns up back in Jerusalem. But he ends up there. And you can imagine these guys suddenly seeing Saul or Paul that, that they've seen him murder their friends. You wouldn't trust him immediately, right? And it's just... If we think of this story, what's going on, it is just so weird how God works and what God does. That he's not, he's, God hasn't punished this guy who's been, he killed Stephen, you know. He killed, he's been there, he's, he's been involved in this whole thing. That he's not punished the man who stood against him, who persecuted him. But he has brought him into this whole new life. He's brought him into this incredible blessing. And so imagine Paul then at the end of his life thinking back to this moment where everything changed on the Damascus Road. Where he thought all the sin and all the mess up he did, not just in life, but against God himself. 
But then he can look back at what God has done. Not necessarily an easy life, but an awesome life. A life full of wonder and blessing. A life full of God. And that's the life, that adventure with God. That's the life that we're all invited to. Paul faces this great persecution then in Jerusalem. And I find it kind of fascinating. He just keeps getting chased out of places, doesn't he? And God works through it. So he faces this persecution in Jerusalem. And fearing for his life, the disciples take him to the coast and they put him on a ship. And whereabouts does he go? He goes back to Tarsus. Do you remember where Saul was from? Saul of Tarsus. He's from Tarsus. And God's saving him in this movement but there is this beautiful thing where he's also resetting him in some ways the pool of Tarsus ends up back at Tarsus and you know all great stories start with somebody at home and they end with somebody back at home but they're just different in that place so think of Frodo he leaves completely different it's like the perfect story and then he comes back and he he is back home everything's the same but he is completely different he is completely different and see this it's almost like Saul who's grown up in Tarsus proved himself somehow got connected with Gamaliel gone through all this and God's using his whole kind of academic Jewish history past for this current ministry and then you have the Damascus Road and it brings him back to this place in Tarsus where he is completely different but he is back home and in some ways that is the great first story of Paul the one we don't really hear about the one where he doesn't know God where he's persecuting God and in amazing redemption God brings him back into a place where he can use him so his journey home to become the man that God called him to be. And so some of you here today, you know deep inside that you're on a journey and you just maybe get a bit confused and you, but you feel there's a deeper destiny or there's something else. And I just want to encourage you guys that God has you. God has you. That each and every one of you have incredible destinies. And he's leading you into them. See, I want to encourage you as well that sometimes a return geographically to home or a place we feel okay as a place we've been before isn't necessarily a step backwards. can be, but it isn't necessarily a step backwards when it's done in him. That God can use you and return you to that same place on your journey and make you the instrument of destiny in that place. And you see Paul steps off the boat in Tarsus and he, he ends up from that place going to Antioch and being involved in the church in Antioch. And we know Paul and Barnabas prayed over and released and sent on their first missionary journey, which has impacted and affected much of Asia and also Europe itself. You and I, we may not be sat here in the same way if he hadn't had that moment. The Damascus Road changed one man who changed the world. And I don't want you guys to underestimate the power of one life solely committed to him, saying, God, I will, I, you know, I'm for you, God. Where do you want me to do? And as Andrew Owen says, he says, you only have one life, so make it a life worth living. That's the guy who's launched Destiny Ministries. So guys, we are all world changers in our own ways. It may not be to, don't try and copy Paul, that's his life. That's his path, thankfully. You know. 
But what can we learn from Paul? What can we learn from this moment, this, this time on the Damascus Road? So first off, see, Paul is one of these most incredible guys in the Bible. He writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He's transformed much of Europe, much of Asia, and just had this incredible, it's like energizer guy, never stops. Would have been exhausting spending time with him, I think, because he's just like constantly going. But he has this incredible zeal for ministry, for planting churches. And so what happens on the Damascus Road and through this story of his coming to faith? What is it that's going on? What is it that turned this guy who was so adamantly against God, who was so, well, so adamantly against the gospel, so adamantly against Jesus, that in a moment everything changes and he doesn't just go to being, oh, okay, well, I'll go to church then. But he goes to this whole other place. Okay. What lessons can we learn from him today? So three lessons, guys. First one. He saw Jesus' glory. And it can, you know, it can be easy in our generation. So sometimes there's so many there's videos and there's all kinds of different things and so many voices that we can actually sometimes get the picture of Jesus a bit kind of scrambled where I remember growing up and there was the whole Jesus is my boyfriend thing. And it's just like, no, you know, like people say, I don't like that song. It's just to Jesus is my boyfriend. And so sometimes people had that image of like Jesus is more like lovely guy as opposed to like warrior king. And it can begin to go a bit funny that sometimes we can have this picture of this historic character from all the films wearing Middle Eastern clothing. So when we describe Jesus to people, we're kind of thinking of, of this guy as well. And he is and was that guy. He is a man, but he's also the glorious king seated on a throne in heaven. And that is actually who he is right now today. And so, guys, the challenge is, do you need to reorientate your mind to do with how you see him, how you see his glory? Because Paul suddenly gets a very rude awakening, a very sudden, correct understanding of who this Jesus is. Because up until that moment, he'd seen Jesus the man going around, probably. He'd seen, he'd also, he would have seen the crucified Christ. He would have he would have seen this guy as like, well, you know, he's just a heretic. He is he's this guy, his followers are all spouting heresies and blasphemies and, and things like this. And so and that's why he's been trying to defend the faith, the law and the prophets. That's why he's been trying to defend it. He thought that Jesus was just some troublemaker and his followers were carrying on in that kind of light until the Damascus Road, until suddenly that light shines around him and bang, he's thrown to the floor. And it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And we can see that he doesn't know who this is, but that this is glory. And he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, it's Jesus whom you are persecuting. And what must have happened in that moment? What did that do to Saul's heart where it was just like, I can't even begin to describe how I could imagine that being. Just this sudden like, ah, imagine that moment where you realize the deep mistake that you've made and you're a guy living under law. Imagine how terrified he must have been to suddenly realize the king of glory he'd been speaking against. So the thing when we think about Jesus' glory that's important to remember is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Remember it says that? 
but we look back in the Old Testament, whenever we see somebody speaking to God, and it's face-to-face, like it speaks about Moses, doesn't it? It says Moses speaks, spoke to God face-to-face as one would speak to a friend. And then Moses comes out, and he's all glowing, and everyone gets freaked out, so he has to wear a veil. Um, He's speaking to Jesus. He's speaking to Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the king of glory. Paul here, he sees Jesus as he really is, and his face hits hits the ground, just like John in the beginning of Revelation, where John says that he sees Jesus, and he's just so flat on the ground because of the glory of Jesus. And whilst I know you guys, you're not going around trying to imprison people and murder people and things like that, fortunately. Um, Maybe you will before the end of the sermon in another couple of hours. But um, (laughs) the... uh, The thing is, do we have a correct understanding of Jesus? Do we, you know, flick in and out? Do we really see the glory of him? And so, without a right understanding, we can have a wrong orientation. It can give us a weaker foundation. And see, Paul, he's fighting against this Jesus because he has a wrong picture. And sometimes people today, they maybe don't know how much to expect for or the faith to have for situations because they don't see the glory of him. And when we face trials and challenges, do we do it with a right picture of who our king is, who the one is who said, don't worry for anything, be anxious for nothing? In our sharing of the gospel, in our sharing of Jesus, in our pointing people to Jesus, are we telling people about the glorious king, alive today, seated on a throne in heaven, who, if he turned up right now in this room in glory, we would just be flat on our faces? Or do we tell somebody about a character from long, long ago, from a story and some kind of religious doctrine? In this moment on the Damascus Road, Paul, he's cast down to the ground. And the text says that he can't see, doesn't it? It says that he gets his scales over his eyes. And it's very important to see this, that he doesn't go blind. He can't see, but he doesn't go blind. The text doesn't say that he went blind because what's happening here isn't a punishment. Jesus is not punishing Saul. It's this kind of result of the situation, the light, the glory that, that suddenly hits him. And he spends these three days with his eyes, with three, three days in darkness. You know, I bet he never forgot the glory of that last thing he saw. The thing that for three days was seared into his mind. The, just how incredible that would have been. We can't live... the the fullest Christian life or the Christian life in all its fullness if we have a wonky understanding of Jesus and his glory and we don't need to be struck down by Paul that something Holy Spirit can reveal it to us we can pray at the end pray for it at the end when we have a moment of time pray and just ask God just reveal more of your glory to me and so this dramatic experience here of his glory, it stays with Paul the rest of his life. If we really see and get the glory of God. See, Paul sees his kingship. He sees the majesty of him. He sees the awe of the risen one. 
And then that really helps him reorientate everything about himself because he just sees, he sees Jesus, that everything he valued suddenly becomes nothing in the face of his glory. That he's lived standing against the king of kings. He suddenly has this realization that he's you know, stood against the church, persecuting the church, and he sees his glory. He's seen who he is. And then for the rest of his life, everything he had been walking in this one way against church, and he suddenly stops and turns around and for the rest of his life walks back against the flow. His life is marching against everything, pushing down against the gospel. Everything that he was, that he can do that in a place of peace and confidence, not because he's sorted out, not because he's an awesome guy, but because he's seen Jesus. He's seen the glory of God. Paul here is so well orientated towards the glory of him who holds all and is in all and is, is through all that he leads this life that he knows. Remember there's a part where it talks about how he's, he's stoned and then he gets up and then goes back into the city and carries on preaching. Well, being stoned means being executed. So it's like he's executed and he just has this... Like, it's almost like, well, we're not done yet because, you know, I, I see the glory. He sees the glory of God and that he would be up and back in that city by the evening. And if he wasn't, it doesn't matter. I hope for us, none of us get executed, but I hope that we would live lives orientated towards his glory. So, guys, pray and meditate on that. Second point. He sees God's grace. He sees God's grace. So think about Saul and what he was like. Saul is like judgment, judgment, judgment. You know, these guys, they've gone off down a wrong road. He doesn't go to them and say, hey, let's talk about this um, because you're going down a wrong road. He's just like, imprison them, kill them, let's go. And so he, in himself, who he was, is a judgment guy. He travels to, to Damascus, why? To bring judgment on those people following the way, to bring them back and put them in prison. And on his way, he encounters Jesus and he discovers grace. And I just find this the most awesome thing, right? That he has raised his hand against the Lord, that he's persecuting Jesus, he's persecuting the church. Jesus says, why do you persecute me? And when we persecute the church, we persecute Jesus. What we do to his body, we do to him. And church can be wrong and make all kinds of mistakes. We know that, right? And you guys are in it. So, um, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> but never, no matter what happens, walk away from the people of God. Because it is his body. So Paul, we've got this guy, Paul, on the road, deserving of punishment. And he experiences grace. He experiences abundant <coughs> grace in his life. You know, how so many people would think, oh, actually, maybe God should just go like, like that, and just like, not Paul, just, he's just disappeared, you know? Oh, he's in Saturn, he's gone, you know? That's judgment. But God doesn't do that. Paul experiences abundant grace. In Romans 5, 17, it says this, If by the transgression of the one, that's speaking about Adam and original sin, if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You see, in Adam, and when we're in Adam, which we are when before coming to Christ, death reigns. But in Christ, when we're in him, abundant grace and life reigns. So Paul here has experienced abundant grace. Guys, we need to know this. We need to know this. We need to know and understand that grace is for our lives, to live in the fullness and abundance of the life that Jesus has called us to and speaks about this reigning in life. Paul, Saul at the time, he isn't struck down on the road, is he? He deserves to be. He's not struck down on the road. What's more, he's allowed to serve the king, King Jesus. Imagine if just put it into the context of a like the UK monarchy or something like that. That's an incredible honour. His name, this guy who deserved punishment, is remembered across history, and 2,000 years later, we're speaking about him in a room. See, what honour and privilege that is. What grace has been shown to this man. And Paul, years later in Ephesians, he writes this. He says, for I am the least. He sees it himself. I am the least of the apostles, and I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He sees that in no way does he deserve what he's got. And the, what he's got is absolutely incredible, considering who he was. And so, guys, I want to encourage you that no matter what your past, no matter what your background to do with what you've done, how well-educated you are, whatever that is, it doesn't define your future, because in him, God can do incredible things. So Paul shouldn't be allowed to serve God by justice standards. He's rebelled against God. He's persecuted the Lord of heaven. He stood against him, not, not just kind of got, had some aggravation with some people, but Jesus says, why do you persecute me? He's persecuted the king. Usually in most nations, when you stand against the king, you have your head cut off, but not today. And you know what? In some ways, we are all Saul. We are all Paul. We've all sinned. We've all fallen under the judgment of God or we're on this journey just like Paul from Saul to Paul that instead of judgment we can receive mercy and abundant grace you know mercy is us not getting what we do deserve which is the wrath of God that Jesus takes on himself and grace is us getting what we don't deserve See, Paul is the great Pharisee. He says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's followed every single law in the book. He's, he's the law guy, isn't he? He knows, it, he knows it all. And it's turned him into a murderer. It's turned him into a persecutor. And yet God offers him salvation. And we are all offered grace. So you see, Jesus came to die on a cross to take that wrath of God upon himself he shows us mercy we don't get what we do deserve so that you could be declared righteous what well, we don't deserve the grace we receive we receive not our grace by our own efforts but his grace and in that 
we're reconnected with God. We come back into relationship with the Father. So being a good person, following the law, doing all this stuff, good to do, but in no way does it make you eligible for heaven because in no way does that reconnect you with the Father. So it's not down to you guys and what you can do. It's down to him and what he has done. And so in the midst of all this story that's going on, on the Damascus Road, Paul experiences this incredible grace, this thing that he's never experienced before, the grace of God, and he sees and he understands this grace. And the last thing, you see, like one of the last things he's, he's hearing on the road is, why, why are you persecuting me? That sudden realization, man, I've been persecuting God. But what's the first thing he hears as his sight's coming back? Or just before? Brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. What grace, what grace he experiences through this whole thing. See, God's grace is not just to save us so that we could go to heaven and then whatever happens in life, but God's abundant grace is so that we can live an abundant life. And too many people, too many, too many believers kind of feel, okay, well, you know, I believe that God's grace is for me to get into heaven and I can deal with that and I, I'm okay with accepting that, but I can't accept that the stuff in life I don't need to earn. I don't need to be good enough. I don't need to, to do the right stuff before him. And, you know, it's, it's like, okay, he's going to save me, but then to get, for him to bless me in this area, I need to do this so that he will bless me. You know, he'll only use me if I, if I go to church every single week, then he'll use me. Something like that. It's just not true. I'll use you. No, no I'm joking. Have we entered eternity? If we think about our salvation, because sometimes we make that so easy. Have we entered eternity? Presence with God, where Christ has come down to earth and paid this ultimate price for us on the cross, defeated death so that we could be reconnected with God. Is that so easy that actually kind of God providing for our needs, being a provider, being a comforter, being someone who has a plan for our lives here on the earth to let people know about this amazing news is too much for him, that we need to earn that. And you know, there, there's some truth in there's a natural ramifications to living in wisdom. I encourage you guys, pursue wisdom. There's natural ramifications to living in sin. Sin has effects, some effects which are obvious that you can see, some effects which even science today is only just discovering. But when we speak about God's favor, when we speak about his grace into our lives for us living this abundant life, it's never something that you can earn. I want you guys to think on that because that will transform your life when you don't feel you need to buy stuff from God with your behavior. So many people not realizing it block the blessing of God because they refuse the grace of God and they instead say, no, no, God, I just can't. I insist on earning the blessing and bringing their works before God as if to like purchase this gift of God. But the trouble is the account that they go to is empty because the account where your works work has got zero in the, in the account. The account of God's grace is limitless. There is no blessing when we try and earn it. 
So this abundant grace, guys, it isn't stuff as well about this abundant life. But some people maybe immediately think like, like prosperity gospel or something like that. It's not. It's not about money. It's not about stuff. It's about living a life where King Jesus and his abundant grace pours into it. And just just in the same way, actually, for you guys, you know, you guys aren't all totally all about money, but also it is about money, right? We all use money. You've all, you probably most of you use money today as well. So sometimes it is about money. Sometimes it is about resources. Sometimes it isn't. They Paul knew times of plenty and times of lack, but he knew how to be content through all of them. And he lives every single day in this abundant grace of God. He's experienced this beautiful, gracious heart of God there on the Damascus Road. And that impacted him and transformed him and caused his ministry to be in a way that he was able to actually minister because you can't ever minister from judgment and he lived every day in this abundant grace just as a little aside you think about the church in Corinth you need a lot of grace to deal with those guys I'd probably just shut the church down for like going over there no it's pretty full on and then lastly God's plan he saw God's plan, the church. There's something that happens in that moment where he, he sees that he's been persecuting Jesus, he's been persecuting the church, and up until that point, he's been the biggest opponent to the church. He's been trying to crush it out, crush out the gospel, remove, remove the church from existence. And yet, in that moment, there's something that happens where he doesn't just kind of be like, oh, okay, well, church is all right then. He dedicates his whole life to seeing the gospel spread and the church flourish in the world. See, Paul saw the local church as Jesus intended. But this is plan. This is plan for the world. You know, the church are the agents of the kingdom here on planet Earth. You know, it says that we're ambassadors of Christ. That the church is the embassy of the kingdom here on the Earth to bring his rule to bring his life, to bring the authority of the king into this place. And so I just challenge you guys today, do you guys have a right picture of church? You know, some see church as an old religious institution that's a bit irrelevant, okay? But church is more. Church is a gathered people, very relevant, more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. It's the chosen tool of God, his people, to transform planet Earth. And Paul sees something of this, and, and in suddenly seeing it, he sees as well everything that the prophets have spoken about, everything about the gospel, and it goes on. It says he proves to these guys. He's not, he's not proving it to them just by some, by Actually, I just need to write some Bible now. He didn't do that. I need to write Ephesians quickly. You know, He's using the law and the prophets. He's using the Old Testament to preach the gospel to them. Saul's name changes. Changes from Saul to Paul. You know what Paul means? Paul actually means little or humble. And I love this quote. It says, God uses small people full of him, not big people full of themselves. Don't feel you need to become some like, oh, like huge person for God to use you wherever you're at. God uses small people full of him, not big people full of themselves. 
So Paul's been persecuting the church, but now after this event, he dedicates his life to seeing the church grow. And we may not be called on the mission field in the same way that Paul's called out to go, but nevertheless, each of us are church, going out, sharing the gospel, being a witness in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. Do we love the church? Do we see it church correctly? So do we see church as something to meet my kind of spiritual needs or your spiritual needs? And maybe more so these days who find consumer Christians, right? Well, you know, um, it's great. I go and then I get all this stuff. You know, I'm going to this church now. The preaching's rubbish there. I'm going to this one because I get more and more stuff. You know, it's that take, take, take thing. And maybe not a thought to what can I give? What's God put in me to bless these people? I don't think you guys are like that. So. Do you see church as a place as well? Sometimes some folks see church as a place as where I can have some position, you know, some, some kind of authority that actually me being here and I'm doing this thing and they put me in charge of this stuff, that um, actually there's this kind of authority, this status, this feeling of self-worth. Well, that's, a, that's also dangerous. There's the self-centered believer, the one who's more concerned with their glory than his glory. It's one where maybe if people ever get in that space it's we define ourselves more by what other people think of us and see of us rather than who he has said we are and who you are that you're a child of God but guys are you part of the body of Christ yes we're part of this massive body Jesus's body here on the earth we're living stones making up the great temple of the church being built up day by day around the world. Thousands and thousands of people today become followers of Jesus all around the world. Are you guys a minister of Christ? Do you see yourself as a minister? Because you are. You know, remember I said last week, it's my job to equip you to do ministry, not your job to listen to me about what ministry we've done. You know, that you guys are ministers in your places. You can minister to people that I could never even dream, people I don't even know, I would find very difficult to connect with, you already know, and you're going to WhatsApp as soon as you leave here. You guys are the ministers to the world. And the beauty... And the fullness of church, we can't deal with it here because it's just, it's so awesome because it's the body of Christ. But you can kind of get what I mean, that Paul sees this thing that's just like, wow, this is worth my life. That it's not an organization, it's not a meeting we do once a week on a Sunday or a building that we go to, but it is this people which you are a part of, filled with God himself to witness about him, being his ambassadors out in the world, drawing humanity back to the Father. Paul was so impacted by what God was doing in the earth through church that he gives us all for it. And so, guys, I encourage you as churches here, build each other up in love. Encourage one another. Remember, bear with one another in loving kindness. And be ready when it's convenient for you to share the gospel, when it's completely inconvenient for you to share the gospel. Be ready to share that hope that you guys have. If you don't know how to share it, you know, it's okay. That's, we don't always know things straight away. If you don't know how to share the gospel, practice. If there's one thing you practice, you know, 
practice sharing the gospel. There is nothing more important to practice doing than sharing the gospel. If you don't know how to practice it, it's fine. Come speak to me. I'll, I'll teach you how to share the gospel. And so it's so important that we don't treat it as an academic thing, but as a physical thing. That we think of ourselves more like sports people, you know, as opposed to academics to do with the gospel. The local church is the hope for out there for the guys downstairs. The local church, the Church of Hong Kong, is the hope for Hong Kong. And the church in Asia and the world is the hope for the world. And so I don't want you to doubt, guys, who you are and what you've been called to, to make disciples, to heal the sick, to bring the wisdom of God into situations, maybe for those who have no concept of God, to bring wisdom into confusion, to live lives worthy of these lives that we've been called to. And like Paul, we don't need actually to go on a training course. I'll train you. We'll do the courses. But... You don't need to. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's your teacher. You step out today right now and do it, and he would guide you. So, guys, I want to encourage you. See church for what it is, because that will impact how you live as church, how you as an individual, you are church, you're a stone of the church, how you live like that. And so, coming into an end now, Paul was a person who saw and he understood and lived in the truth of Jesus, this abundant grace of God and the beauty. It's that kind of like a powerful beauty of the church and what the church is. Imagine, guys, if we today can live like that. Imagine if we could live like that. How many more conversations we'd have about the gospel? How many more people would be being discipled? How would the world begin changing their impression of the church? And I dream of a day when actually we'd be go-to guys for a lot of things. A story I love is of, you may have heard of the prophetic guy, Sean Bowles, and he actually consults with different governments, that governments call him to come in and prophetically consult for them for, to do with certain big situations. I love that, that that kind of stuff's already happening in the world. And so, guys, my heart for you all is that as church, we will cultivate this culture, this family of God here on the earth. That we meet together for fellowship, to do food afterwards, and it's really cool, and it's good fun, and we can pray for each other. And in this moment as well, just call on God just to come and just speak to us and minister us, minister to us. But really, you know, this time is a time of equipping, of building up. It's a time of celebrating, hopefully, you know, the stuff that's gone on through the week. It's a time of caring for each other. But there is more to church than the Sunday. Even more to church and a home group of, you know, when we meet each other through the weeks and things like that. That actually you guys are the church. So I want to encourage you guys that you would live with a right sight and understanding of his glory, his grace and the church. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. God, Lord, I thank you for these guys. And Lord, I just thank you for what you can be doing and what you are doing through each and every single person here. Lord, I just pray for your peace just to come in this place. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, in this place. Minister to each of our hearts, God. And Lord, I pray for that word that... 
in different, unique ways that would impact each of our lives, Lord, that you would grow some fruit from that in our midst, Jesus. That lives of people who do not know you, who are in darkness, would be blessed by our lives today, by the things that you're speaking to us today. In your great and awesome name. Amen.